Hi, good morning, and welcome to the Daisy Take. I'm your host, Daisy Elizabeth, and I'm so glad you decided to join me. And I know it's Friday, and here at the Daisy Take, we love Fridays. I just love the weekend. I think that weekends are so nice and relaxing. Um, but I got to tell you, Sunday is my worst day, and Friday is my best. So that's a show for another day. Anywho, <laughs> um, if you're new here, hi, and I appreciate you listening. I hope that you continue to listen and add me and uh, get updated every time I have an episode. And if you've been listening, I appreciate you so much. And I'm so glad that you've stuck with me and that you're listening. Today, we're going to talk about the story of Lisa Ziegert. This is a story that my sister sent me, Jolie. So shout out, love you, girl. And, um, you know, she's been feeling a bit under the weather. So lots and lots of hugs and prayers for her uh, that she starts to feel better. Information for today's podcast comes from thesun.co.uk slash TV and unsolvedmysteries.fandom.com. So there's a little town in Agawam. I want to say Agawam, but I'm not sure I'm saying it correctly, so I do apologize. Massachusetts, near the western Connecticut border. It's a small town uh, where people live, and they really like it. They really like the small town feel. And I believe that they voted to change the town to a city and they decided to, you know, keep it a small town because it was really where friends and neighbors, you know, just the small town feel, you know, and I wish that a lot of places were like that. And at the middle school there, you'll find, a dogwood tree in the courtyard as a memorial to one of the town's most beloved residents and her, and she was 24 year old Lisa Ziegert. And I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, you know, whose untimely death changed the whole concept of this town. Her mother, Dee, described her as a special person who was bubbly, outgoing, and just full of fun. And she always had a special way with children. She treated them like they were people, not just kids. Uh, she and Lisa had grown up there. She had grown up in the small town, and she was pretty happy there. I can't believe how vicious people are since I've been doing this podcast. It's made me realize that people are not nice. You have no idea what their intentions are. Uh, So after college, she went back home to teach and she was teaching special needs students at the middle school. And the school counselor, Dick Cowles, felt that she was a very gifted teacher 
who made sure that her students felt valued. That's, that's really important. You know, she always helped them with their problems and answered their questions. And she was always nice to them. But on Wednesday, April 15th, 1992, Lisa left school around 4.30 p.m. She drove to the card store. It's called Brittany's Card and Gift Shop, where she worked weekdays from 5 to 9. Now, at 5.30, her sister Lynn stopped by. Lisa was working on a sketch for their friend. Lynn recalled that their conversation was normal and nothing seemed out of the ordinary. So she left around 6 p.m. So the next morning comes around around 8.45 and Sophia Maynard, another employee, um, arrived to open up the store. But she was really surprised to find Lisa's car there in the parking lot. And it was a school day. The lights were on open on the store Excuse me. The lights were on in the store and the open flag was out. So the open sign was there and the lights were on and she couldn't figure out why or understand why Lisa um, was there. Then she remembered it was Easter weekend And they had planned to blow balloons. So she figured that's why Lisa was still there. Sophia didn't think much of it until she walked inside the store and she called Lisa's name several times, but received no reply. So she went around the counter and she found all of Lisa's belongings, including her drawings, her pocketbook, her car keys. Everything was still there. And I can tell you, No woman is going to leave her cell phone now, her keys, her purse, anything she had with her, her makeup behind. No woman is going to do that unless she was forcibly taken. So she knew something was wrong and she ran to the restaurant across the street and she called the police. Now, when the police came over, they found signs of a struggle in the back room. Several boxes had been smashed. Um, You know, there was physical evidence. There was no physical evidence at the store. Some greeting cards outside of the room. You know, I mean, there were like, they found a few traces of blood. So the police department aided the FBI and the Massachusetts state police. So they launched a massive search for Lisa and family hoped for the best, but they feared the worst. Okay. This is the part where it gets hard for me because Easter Sunday is such a special day. And I just feel when I started reading this, I felt really, really bad. Um, the 
I'm just thinking of the terror and the day that this girl, you know, gets murdered. It's just so disgusting to me. So on the afternoon of Easter Sunday, April 19th, and this was four days after Lisa disappeared, her partially clothed body was found in a wooded area off Route 75 on the edge of town. So you can imagine her parents' horror, not only losing their daughter, but losing her on Easter Sunday when her body was found. So that is a day that will never be the same for them. And I think it's unjust and I think it sucks because when somebody dies on a beautiful holiday like that, it's never the same. So the location where her body was found was about three miles from the store. She had multiple knife wounds around her shoulders and throat. Although several pieces of evidence were found at the scene, the murder weapon was not located. An examination by the County medical examiner later indicated that she had been sexually assaulted. So never before in the history of this small town had there been such an outpouring of love and grief. At Lisa's wake, more than a thousand people stood for five hours in the springway rain to pay her tribute. And her parents were just overwhelmed um, to see so many people because it showed how much she impacted the town and her kids from school. Just, you know, everybody, how much of an impact. And I've seen photos of this young woman and she is so beautiful and she looks like she's just full of life. And she looks like somebody I would have said, Hey, what's going on? You know? And she would have been really friendly. And I just, the pictures probably just don't even do her justice because she was so beautiful. So a lot of her students remembered her and they wish there was more people in the world that were like her. And I'm sure it was hard on her students. So three critical phone tips came in after, which helped establish timeframes. Okay. The first one, there was a person who had been in the store at eight 20. They made a purchase and actually had time, had like a, a receipt, a time stamped receipt. They did not notice anything unusual at the store or about Lisa's demeanor. So it wasn't like she was scared or nervous. It was just a normal, you know, transaction. Now the second person was a customer at the store who had gone in around nine, but nobody, there was nobody around. She did hear some noise in the back. She described it as banging. She waited for a minute, but nobody came out. So she left. So this suggested to police that Lisa was in the store around nine and in the back room. Now, could you imagine what would have happened 
if that woman would have went to, or that man, I don't think it says to the back room and saw what was going on and call police. I guess it could have changed a lot of things, but they didn't. So, I mean, no blame should be taken because I'm not sure I would have done it. You know, I'm just saying, you know, what if we always live with a lot of what ifs in our lives or a lot of regrets. And I think it's really sad. We as people and humans should try to live without the what ifs and live day to day. And it's hard. It really is. And that was a woman, by the way. So she didn't go back there to check. So an investigation revealed that she'd been laying horizontal on the floor. And there were two kick marks from her shoes at the bottom of the door. So at 9.15 that night, a woman was on her way home. She stopped at the stop sign at the intersection of Route 75 and Adams Street. She observed a full-size Bronco or Blazer type vehicle pull off the road into a piece of property that led in the area where Lisa's body was found. She said that there was an operator in the front and in the back seat, she believed there were two people, one male and female. She saw the female's head go up and down a couple of times as the vehicle drove off into the woods. So when she saw that, she just figured it was a card load of teenagers and, you know, they're just being teenagers, you know, causing havoc, doing shenanigans. Um, and she just drove on. She just went about her way. She had no clue that there was some kind of suspicious activity going on. So there'd been no further clues after that. The middle school where Lisa taught, they established in honor of Lisa in her own brief life, touched so many lives. Dee believes that Lisa's death caused so, caused so many of her students to realize life isn't always fair and they have to be extra careful. But sometimes even if you're extra careful, it doesn't matter. She believes that Lisa's murder or murderers had to be punished to show the students that there was justice. So these students are all with special needs. And I've worked with special needs children and I know, well, not children, they were actually adults. And I know that they are, they take things differently, but they're very pure about it, you know, and it's just a beautiful thing. So I think that they took this a lot harder probably than most because they were very attached to her and they loved her so much. And the car that was described by the third woman was also a late model full-size Bronco or blazer. 
So they both had the right car. So police went on to take plaster molds of tracks left at the murder scene, and they were identified as Cooper tires. The combination of tires on the vehicle were so distinctive, detectives were able to comb through sales records of a local dealership and track down the driver of the vehicle. However, it turned out that he was at the scene with friends several days before the murder, and he was ruled out. So there was also an unidentified man reportedly watched Lisa and members of the Healthy Habits Fitness Center work out. And this happened shortly before the murder. And witnesses noticed that he watched her closely in a perverted fashion. And this man was described as Caucasian in his 30s, about 5 foot 10, with a beer belly and wavy light brown hair. And at that time, he wore work clothes and drove a red sports car. It's not known if he has any connection to the case. You know, that's um, sick perv. Yeah, I'm just going to throw it out there. So in the weeks prior to Lisa's abduction, she told people she believed she was being watched. She asked several friends, she asked relatives, come and visit me at the store because I don't feel comfortable. So this led investigators to believe that she was being stalked before she was murdered. And Lisa's boyfriend, Edward Borgatti, I hope I'm saying that correctly, was questioned regarding the murder. He also was the son of a police officer in the town. He was working at a restaurant across the street from the store when Lisa vanished. But it's not known whether he was ever considered a suspect in this case. So let's go to 2015. DNA was found at the crime scene and was sent to Parabon nano labs a dna forensic analysis service i couldn't say that <laughs> the company created a composite using dna phototyping based on their analysis they determined that lisa's killer was likely fair-skinned with hazel or brown eyes and black hair In 2017, investigators looked into special suspects who refused to give DNA samples over the years. Now, the Agawam, that's the small town. I can't say that, so I apologize. Gary Edward Chakra, at the time of the murder, was married with a young son. And he had no criminal record. However, in 1993, his ex-wife, who is now deceased, told her attorney that she believed he was involved in Lisa's murder. Now, why would she say that? I'll tell you why, because she really felt it. And she was probably telling the truth. So he came home late that night and he didn't tell her where he was. He also had cuts on his hands 
and she noticed that he seemed preoccupied with the case whenever it was mentioned on television. So, you know, she knew something was up. And she had mentioned um, he had also, you know, she had also reportedly found some disturbing writings in his diary that led her to believe that he was responsible. And I guess later on she fled with relatives, you know, she took off, she went to family and uh, she stayed with them and she hid out because she was afraid of him. But unfortunately, since she was an alcoholic, her tip was not taken seriously. And that's too bad. So I guess on, in September, state troopers went to his apartment to provide him with the DNA test. Um, you know, and they, he wasn't home. So they left him a business card told him, telling him to contact um, the police. When his roommate told him about the visit, he wrote three documents and left, and left them at his girlfriend's house. A confession to Lisa's murder, a last will and testament, and a brief apology to her family. Then he fled the area. So I guess his girlfriend found the letters and she handed them over to police. And his DNA matched the evidence. And on September 16th, he was arrested at the hospital, charged with murder, aggravated rape, and kidnapping. And on September 25th, 2019, he pleaded guilty to first-degree murder in this case. The rape and kidnapping charges were dropped as a result. He admitted to the court he was responsible for her death and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So I guess this guy was like really freaky and he said that he had been, um, you know, fascinated with bondage and abduction from an early age. Um, and that led him to do something terrible. And he said he didn't claim, he didn't intend on killing her, but things kind of, you know, went out of control. So, oops, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't mean to murder her, but you know, things got out of control. You know, what an asshole. I'm sorry. Um, not going to be nice about it. And I'm glad that he's serving a life sentence forever. So have fun in jail. I, I don't know. It just, it just sickens me, you know, like how can somebody, um, do this to such a nice girl, you know, such a beautiful girl. She could have had a beautiful future, family, kids, whatever, but he stole that. And I think it's disgusting. So now the police believe he became obsessed with Lisa after he bought a music box from her store. Then he later gave it to his wife. 
And that's one of the most disgusting things I think I've ever heard. Maybe not the most, but you know, this guy's a pig. So I'm glad he's in jail and I'm glad the crime was solved and her family, you know, um, I hope that her family finds peace and her friends. And I hope she is where she needs to be free and without pain and in heaven. And I truly believe there's a special place in hell for men like these. Not just men who murder, all murderers. I'm sorry. I just believe that there is a special place in hell for men who rape and murder women. And it gets me mad. Like who gave you the right to take this beautiful girl away from her family and friends because you felt like it? Well, I'm glad you're in prison forever. So that's my show for today. I hope that you all enjoyed it and uh, give me your feedback, the daisy take at gmail.com. And I hope that you have a great weekend and um, a wonderful week. And we'll see you next Friday here on the daisy take. So have a great weekend and be safe. Love one another. Love you. Bye.